Podcast. My name is Paul, and joining me as always is Rob. What's hey up, guys, man? what's poppin'? It's Friday night, the it is! <laughs> <laughs> it is Friday for us. We are recording on a chill and relaxing recording session. But today is not gonna be that chill, okay? Today we're getting all tucked in to break some records. We're gonna fight with UCI to see who's the best as making new rules today we're preparing our best scottish accent because we're talking about the man the myth the legend grime O'Brien himself yes it's an entire episode dedicated to one man and i think it's going to be sick but speaking of performance if you want to hear more about my freaking sick performance at making ramen in the middle of the mountains then yes also, a quick Japan update. And we talked a lot about the precursor. Mm-hmm. Then you should listen to the pre-show. You can access the extended conversation at patreon.com slash podcast. But let's get into the show. Who is Grime Aubrey? Well, we talked about him before in our, our record podcast. Grime Aubrey, born in 1965 and dubbed the Flying Scotchman. He is the two times broker of the Howard Record, uh, as well as the world champion of individual pursuit in 93 and 95. You've probably seen a picture of him somewhere while looking into weird track bikes or historical track cycling events because he falls into both categories. Graham made history by using his brain along his legs to break records and enter into the legend be careful because i am going to try to do my best scottish impression right so <laughs> i don't know <laughs> if i can do that i'm a wee bit scottish lad you know oh. i go down the lock and you know i, I, don't, I don't know i can't do scottish <laughs> but that's really good already <laughs> okay so me relationship to cycling <laughs> <laughs> No, sorry, sorry, go, go, that was good, that was actually good, for a Frenchman, that was good, that was good, that was good, go, go. For a Frenchman. (laughs) That was really good. For a Frenchman, eh? For a Frenchman, eh? You know. It's like Pruto's relationship to us. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So today we'll discover his story. Do you know where the name comes from? The Flying Scotchman? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, where exactly? I don't know, but probably from uh, the you know the news. No, no, no. The 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 train invented in Doncaster in nineteen twenty three was the world's first stream train locomotive to go over a hundred miles an hour. They named it the Flying Scotsman. No way. Yeah. Is that why? That yeah yeah that's the Flying Scotsman is a famous train within UK and Scot within the, the United Kingdom. It's well, a tra- it's I a, just it's a steam learned train. something new. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just wanted to drop that one in so everyone knows. <laughs> the, the, hey guys, I know my stuff. The, the, um, well, yeah, because George Stevenson invented the steam train, and, and, <laughs> and, and, and he's from Newcastle. 
his cottage where he grew up and, and, and worked and where the steam train was pretty much invented was five minutes from my mother's house, from where I grew up. My, I went to the George Stevenson High School. <laughs> <laughs> so, so locomotive. We don't, we, we don't have cars in Newcastle. <laughs> Everybody has trains. <laughs> but yeah, I know a little bit about steam trains. And, that, okay. and, and that's where the name, the Flying Scotsman, it was the first locomotive to officially hit 100 miles per hour. Okay. So <laughs> so it's the fastest fog train. Yeah, if you're a girl and one day you meet Robin to a bar <laughs> and he tells you, hey, you want to get into a little bit, a little bit steamy <laughs> conversation, don't say yes. He's going to talk about trains. <laughs> I would prefer to talk about um, Graham, to be honest. That's more interesting yeah. for me. Okay, let's go back to Graham. Yeah, yeah. All right. So let's go back to the beginning, shall we? Graham is born northern Warwickshire, but he lived most of his life in Scotland. Definitely considered himself as a Scot, as a flying, as a, as a sweaty sock, a jock. <laughs> his, his life before professional cycling was kind of gloomy, to say the least. From his Teens, Graham was getting bullied, like he attempted suicide twice and later sniffed his welding gas to calm his nerves. He was also being chased for less than £500 that he owed to college fees. Later in his adulthood, Graham got diagnosed with bipolar, something you find quite often with most genius minds and very smart people. In 1993, his bike shop business had to be shut down and he looked to get out of his problems and think about something else. At this point, the hour record had been held for nine years by Francesco Moser at 51.151 kilometers. Graham started to obsess with the record and later said, the record has fascinated me since Moser broke it. It was the ultimate test. No traffic, one man in the velodrome against the clock. I didn't tell myself I would attempt the record. I said I would break it. When your back is against the wall, you can say it's bad or you can say, I'll go for it. I decided that's it. I have to break the record. Yeah. He had to break that record, eh? Aye, <laughs> we I lad, so I had to break the record. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I got obsessed with the record. Wait, I, I can bring it back. I'm a wee bit Scottish. Obsessed. I'm a wee bit Scottish lad. So I said, I'm a bit obsessed. No, a bit obsessed. I can't I can't get it. I can say it's a hard one. Certain, I mean, words, certain words I can do. The, the, I mean, the, the Scottish accent is really hard. You know, I was I, um, I looked at the movie and then I looked at um, I listened to a podcast he did. I stopped. 10 minutes in because I couldn't understand anything. Yeah. As I mean, as a French, right. I'm pretty sure as a British, you can understand pretty easily, but as a French, I just couldn't. As a Northern I can. I'm from Newcastle. I'm like 20, uh, like 30, 45 minutes from Scotland. <laughs> you are the perfect one to do that episode with. <sighs> yeah. But if you drive 30 minutes from Newcastle, the accent's so different. It's uh, we have, very strong accent changes. <laughs> Ashington, fucking shithole of Newcastle, has the weirdest <laughs> accent you'll ever ever hear. Anyway, accents. So he he was obsessed, obviously, from an early age. Yeah, I mean, he was like a really really smart kid, and 
he was yeah basically a genius but you know like smart kids uh you get bullied and then his teens were not not nice really ha- not really nice uh cycling kind of helped him get out of there mm-hmm. but you know like even if you cycle a lot and you have like anxiety and depression cycling alone can't help 100%. It's going to help, but it can't do everything. Yeah. Can I ask you a question about that picture, that first picture that I'm I'm sure we'll add to the show notes. Um yep. the first picture with the red uh outfit and like uh streamlined helmet and whatnot. Uh-huh. Is that a, is that a singular sided fork? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I'm going to talk about that later. Okay, okay, we'll go back to that later. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. So, of course, when you go for a record like that, you need the best of the best of the best of equipment, right? Everything is important. Arrow, watt saving, weight. If you want to know when everything is important, I'll, I'll send you back to the episode we did with Ashton Lambie, and he talk us through all his gears and yeah from tires to position everything is important Graham was already building his own bikes so it was natural to create a new one for this unique purpose so what do you do when you need a cutting-edge technology bike to break a record standing for almost a decade Well, you do the obvious thing, right? You build a frame out of old BMX tubing and washing machine parts. (laughs) Yes, I said washing machine parts. We'll talk about this later. Um, I'll jump straight in. At the same time, smaller front wheels for time trials were all the rage. But it was only a matter of time before any record with a non-conventional wheel set was set aside. The bike was then based on a traditional 700c front and rear setup, but rather than going for the traditional drop bar position, Graham used a flat bar with a tiny bar ends, kind of making a very compact bullhorn. So you can you can imagine he's like tucked over, like elbows in, like the bar. It's basically tiny bit of bar between the the, the uh, coming out of the stem, which is a very yeah. interesting, unique position to ride. The stem is basically, there is basically no stem. So it's mm. way closer to the saddle than of classic. Because you're not bar. leaning far forward. You're not leaning exactly. as far forward. So you, you, your ass is kind of upright and your back's more arched. Yeah. 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 Um, creating what we call today the egg or the tucked position. Graham was basically riding with his hands under his chest and his elbows tucked inside. Just imagine a fast skier position and now... Add a bike under him, that is what it would have looked like. With a position like that, the bike has no top tube, so his knees would not hit the frame. It's a very interesting position, right? It is an interesting position. If you can, just look at the show notes uh, at the same time. Uh, I'll put all the pictures. But yeah, it is a really, really interesting position. Uh, But that is not it. The egg position is one thing, yes. But our favorite... Scotman uh, had more to Scotsman. 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 Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> it's good. Good. I love it. He had more to deliver. So the bottom bracket was custom made to be extra narrow to have more of a natural position. Today, 
That's what we call the G factor. It's the space between your crank arms. Um, so at the time, uh, he thought the perfect G factor was about and quoting him one banana wide. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So he made the bottom bracket extra narrow. Finally, the bearing of that said bottom bracket came from his own washing machine. Graeme thought that if a washing machine was spinning at 1200 RPMs, then the bearing must be as smooth as butter. What? So he took his washing machine down to extract the bearings and build the bottom bracket around these. Fuck hell. He later regretted telling the medias because that's the only thing they would talk about. Mm. Like, oh, the washing machine bike, right? But they were not talking about like his other technical innovations or just the main record, right? So Old Faithful, uh, yes, that's the name of his bike. Very Scottish. Was done eight weeks before his attempt. Only eight weeks. Mike Burrows, uh, creator of the Monaco Carbon Frame and absolute genius behind the Lotus 108 and 110. We talked about him before, but I think that guy deserves an entire episode. Uh, made a replica of Graham's bike, Old Faithful, right? Mm -hmm. As a custom order from Graham manager. And it was supposed to be a surprise. Graham had no idea. The bike was obviously better built because Mike is a world-renowned frame builder and the bike had the exact same measurements. But on top of that, Mike also added a monoblade carbon fork but in the end, Graham didn't use the improved replica for any of his record attempts. Mental. Mental. In the movie, so that's one thing I couldn't be 100% sure. In the movie, his first Howard record, so he does an attempt with the new bike that Mike pulled him. Mm-hmm. And then he did the second with um, his bike, okay? And so you can see some pictures of him riding, like, the one with the monoblade fork. Mm -hmm. So he did ride it, but I don't know when exactly, because I know the movie is also not 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. well, I, I can't get my head around how, how he took anything out of a washing machine and made it work as a bottom bracket. I mean, there must be bearing in the center, right? Yeah, but what? Are they the same sized industry fucking bearing? What, what does that mean? How of course they're not. Of course they're not. How could he possibly use a washing machine bearing on his bike? That's that's the kind of people... I guess the media fucking blew it up, man. I bet he the media, like... I bet, he, <laughs> I bet he was like, oh, what kind of bearing is this using? It fucking turns at like 5,000 RPM. Like, it must be insane if, if a washing machine can spin. Why can't I use something like that? Yeah, I, I, I get the logic, but actually stripping a washing machine down and being like, doo -doo -doo, put that on. But yeah. it's a standard so, 60. I mean, it's like Mike Burroughs. Like, yeah. the, the both yeah. of them, they're both mental. And they're like, oh, wait. 
that might work and to just do it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So how slim was his bottom bracket then? I think it was around set. So uh, it's a banana. It's pretty big to get there. Our bottom bracket, they're like uh, 68, 68, 68 right? Millimeter, right? Yeah, 68. And I think his was around. So if you take one banana wide, right? <laughs> uh, I think it's around 40. Oh, really? Yeah. Small banana. <laughs> Where's he getting his bananas? Those mini bananas. No, I'm talking like one banana white, and that's when I read it, I was like, wait, one banana white is actually pretty large. But we're talking if you put a banana vertically, not horizontally. Ah, uh, really? Yeah. You don't talk about something horizontally, not vertically. If I say, if I say, it's as it's as wide as a car. No, that's not a good example. Shit, as a pen. Yeah, yeah. It's as wide. No, a pen works. A pen works. <laughs> all right, now I get. All right, as wide as a banana. But then I thought of a banana, you know, full length. That's just my. I, I guess that's my issue. Yeah. Now, I, I was definitely thinking, but I was thinking like that too. But when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, okay, that's okay. Okay, that's that makes how we see sense, things. Yeah. Uh, I'll crack on. On July the 16th, 1993, Graham and his team arrived at the Viking ski pet Velodrome in Norway for his record attempt. Francesca Moser was there, as well as Specialized, who sponsored the wheels, the suit, and the helmet. Also on this occasion, the UCI president, Hein Verbruggen, was there. You thought he was going to break the record first try. Well, he failed miserably by one full kilometer. But... They rented the track for 24 hours, meaning he could have a second go on the next day. So Graham took the absolute insane decision to drink one pint of water before sleeping. So he had to wake up and go pee and then stretch his legs at the same time. He did that all night, toilet and pint, toilet and pint. The next day he was ready within minutes because he kept his body active all night. Ah, on July the 17th, around 10 a.m., Graham, with his 52-12 ratio, was the new hour record holder by 445 metres, pushing the total distance travelled by one single man on a bike to 51.596 kilometres. So apparently, Francesca Mother was super happy about it, which is surprising for someone who just got his record broke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one who was not though was the UCI president Hein Verbruggen. So, for one simple reason, for him, the talk position was just a disgrace to cycling aesthetic, and he couldn't accept it. You now understand why UCI rules became so hard. It's partly because of that guy. How do you feel about the visual aesthetic of it? I kind of agree. Dude, I agree, but it's been a week and a half of research for this, mm. and now all I know is that I really wanted a pair of tri spokes. <laughs> Fair enough. That's all I know. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So let's now jump one week later literally one week later on the 23rd of july british olympic champion chris boardman is riding on borders velodrome 
was his ultra expensive, ultra cutting edge Karima Cointreau tailored to him, of course. Boardman was his 53-13 ratio broke Aubrey's record by another 674 meters. So in one week, like what a year to live in. In one week, we added an entire kilometer to record that was standing for nine years. Yeah. But let's not forget a few things. Graham is a full-on amateur with an 11 kilo bike and the frame worth around 100 euros in today's money because he built it himself out of freaking old BMX parts and tubes, right? And washing machines. And washing machines. <laughs> On the other side of the spectrum, you have Mornman, who is like a full-on pro-sponsored athlete, rocking a 7-kilo bike and the frame that will cost alone 44,000 euros in today's money. So you have a 100-euro frame versus a 44-bricks euro frame to get 674 meters. Yeah. How much does a load... How much does a... a Olympic track bike cost these days? A lot. That's... Yeah, like... You can easily cross the... The 10,000, 20,000 mark. Hmm. But to be worth in 44,000 now, it's just crazy. It's crazy, it's but crazy. at the time, it's also the real beginning of monocoque frames. Mm -hmm. Like, carbon is an actual new thing. Mm -hmm. So, it doesn't really surprise me that much. It's still super fucking expensive. It's more than 150 quid stolen precursor. <laughs> If you want that reference, you'll need to listen to the pre-show. Yeah. I'm sorry. Boardman broke the record so quickly after. Yeah. That's I mean, mental. he had it planned, right? Everybody knew that Boardman was going to attempt the Howard record um, uh, in the middle of... That was during the Tour de France that year in Bordeaux. And he did it, he did it special... Like, he did it he, he did, on yeah, purpose... Yeah in Bordeaux at that moment because he knew that was the Tour de France medias were going to be there. Kind of got mad respect for Baldwin right now. I know, right? Yeah, that's kind of ballsy. But also, Aubrey knew when Boardman was going to like do the mm. record, right? And he decided to do it one week before mm -hmm. that's also kind of you know like kind respect of, yeah that. yeah it's ballsy as fuck isn't it it's like right i know you're doing it then i'm going to attempt it before that yeah and and yeah baldwin being an englishman and uh and, yeah and graham being a scotsman it's kind of interesting as well in bordeaux it is. <laughs> in bordeaux yeah, it's, it's kind of mental fun fact i've written on borders velodrome uh -huh. It is fast as fuck. Yeah. Because it's made out of that exotic wood that you can't make velodrome, velodrome out of anymore because it's too expensive. Really rare, yeah, really expensive, rare, and yeah. now protected. Wow. Uh, but that's one 
Like, I mean, it's so fast. Crazy. Fun fact, in January 1994, Moza tried the record with Graham's tucked position in Mexico and did a 51.84 kilometers, staying behind Baldwin's new 52.84. On the 27th of April, three short months later, Graham took the record back by riding on the Bordeaux's velodrome and added another 443 meters with the same bike. The only thing he changed in his setup was his shoes. He literally bolted them to the pedals. But unfortunately, Tour de France winner Miguel Indurain broke the record again in September that year. So when I'm telling you Borders Velodrome is fast, the guy added even more to his record just by changing Velodrome. That's insane. The wood can change that much, the speed. Yeah. Also, like... um. When Mauser tried Grimes' position, so the the tuck position, right in mm. Mexico, in Mexico you have like it's uh, the the velodrome of Aguascalientes is really high up, so the air is thinner, yeah. So you have less air resistance, so that's why he was able to make like such a great uh, record attempt. Okay. Ah, so shit, he actually tried that position. That's crazy. Yeah. But then that means he beat his own record with that position. Yeah. 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 He it means like he beats his own record, but it doesn't, it, he doesn't beat. He doesn't the beat Bo- He doesn't beat Boardman. But he, his last record was what? 51.5 something. So he, yeah. he, by a quarter of a kilometer almost, or a third of a 51, kilometer. 51.1 was his. Previous record. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, he's, yeah, almost two thirds of a kilometer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was crazy times. Crazy, crazy times. So much going on. Yeah. But enough about times and speed and distances. Let's talk about gears, right? So, Graham's bike, all faithful, was into his UCI scope at the time. Uh, you know, we talk about Hein, the UCI boss. Uh, he didn't quite like the position, right? Mm-hmm. So in 1994, they banned the tucked position. Shit. And they let him know literally an hour before his race at the World Pursuit Championship in Italy. Of course, he did not comply with their new rules and got, and got disqualified. So... How can they do that? The the how the rule was your chest can't touch your hands. All right? They told they banned that position because it was quote dangerous for him. But we all know it's just because UCI sucks ass basically. In the championship he refused to complain. So he could have put a different set of handlebars, but he stays with his really, really short handlebars and his tucked position. And he tried really hard to, for his chest to not, uh, you know, like touch, yeah. touch the hands. But it's literally impossible when all your effort is going towards, mm. you, you know, your legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's. You know, UCI doing its thing of banning stuff. I, I I get some things, but like, and and like we discussed earlier, like aesthetically, like 
a tiny little handlebar. Like, I mean, how wide is that handlebar? Are we talking I like... I don't know, but probably something like 40... 40 30 to 40 centimeters, yeah. Yeah, like a standard ruler. Mm, it's an interesting one. I get aesthetically it doesn't look great, but I don't get why... That's not like a modification to your bike where you're putting an engine on or... or um, uh, interesting. I know, like, everything they did at the time was playing with aerodynamics. Yeah. And having as less drag as they could, but as less drag as he could. But just because UCI is about rules and the spirit of cycling and the aesthetic is really important to the spirit of cycling... They can't let people do everything they want. Mm -hmm. That's basically the, you know, the mindset. Yeah. In 95, Graham came back with the superhero position still on the same bike with both his arms fully extended forward like a flying superhero. Of course, it was also banned the same year. Fucking, <laughs> fucking on the guys like just constantly doing stuff that the UCI is like, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> Can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> it's only in 2040, 20 years later, the UCI finally acknowledged that fixing the kind of equipment to be used was hindering technical problems. So they gave back the record under the name Best Hour Performance. We talked about that in our Hour Record episode. The Superman position was used by many other athletes like Andrea Colinelli or Boardman during the 1996 Worldwide Pursuit Championships on his custom-made Lotus. We'll put the links in the show notes. It's a really beautiful bike. It's a Blue Lotus 108, I think. I mean, the track version. Mm -hmm. uh, but it has, like, those super long handlebars. And, like, you can see him just, like, yeah, taking that Superman position. But, of course, it got banned. And, yeah, that's pretty much the last time we saw... A weird position into cycling. I mean, in track cycling. Because in road cycling, they tried some stuff sometimes. Mm -hmm. But if you do want to see the original of Old Faith, it's displayed on the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh. While two replicas were built for the movie, available on YouTube, by the way, are displayed on the Riverside Transport Museum in Glasgow, which I would love to see, to be honest. Yeah, I would like to see those too. Yeah. Um, on a final note and interesting story, there is a YouTube video I, um, I saw when I was doing the research of Graham testing in a wind tunnel. So at, uh, I think McLaren, mm -hmm. um, so he tried like the tuck position mm -hmm. against the Superman position against the classic position. And finally the classic position, but on a full modern bike with modern kit and everything. Mm -hmm. So they calculated the drag coefficient of each and the results are actually really surprising. Mm -hmm. Graeme was his old gears and was old faithful. His bike and the standard time trail position had a drag coefficient of 0 0.2, 0 0.20. Mm-hmm. Was a modern gear and a modern bike, so you know, like full on time trail, uh, disc in the rear, um, 
you know, like time trail bike from this era, mm -hmm. he had a drag coefficient of 0.18. And finally, with the tuck position, but again, his old gears on an, on his old bike, his drag coefficient was only 0.17. Wow. Meaning he had to push fewer watts to go as fast and as far as people with a normal position. Mm -hmm. So basically the tuck position was so arrow. I mean, you still need to be like an incredible athlete, right? To do an hour record, but it was so arrow that you were gaining watts. So you had to push, I guess, a little bit less hard mm -hmm. to go further or go faster. <laughs> and in the end, it also tried the Superman position and it has been found that in the end, it wasn't that good, apparently, compared to the egg. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's the wild story of Gray Marbury. That is a wild story. I mean, the, the guy sounds like an absolute fucking legend. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, for several reasons. First being, like, UCI was like, you can't do that. And it was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to try something crazier. But the Superman, just so I get this right, because, you know, you have roadies do the Superman position where they put their legs out. That's obviously not what he did in the velodrome. It, That's obviously not. It's just the really long, like, tri bars, right? Exactly. Right, got you, got you. Just checking. Because... And I think one of the, of one other mad fact about him is he did two hour record breaking, uh, you know, like, mm -hmm. broke... Uh, our record twice and also he won the worldwide pursuit championship twice wow all on the same bike that's crazy that's insane that's crazy How, wow that's crazy <laughs> oh he stems so high as well he's got like a is it a one inch yeah, it's one inch. One inch stem, yeah. And then tiny little bull horn, so his chest is literally on the top tube on the on the on the handlebar. But he has no top tube. Super interesting. It is. I get why UCI banned it, but I also don't get why they banned it. I think they were like, Oh, you're beating everyone. Oh, that's not traditional. Oh <laughs> we don't know what we stand for quite, so we stick to our rules because we get to yeah. say what we do type thing. The specialized three spokes look fucking sick. Yeah, dude. It really looks sick. Was yeah, yeah, that's what you're saying. Thinking about is after a week and a half of, of research for they that episode. Dope. All I know is I want a pair of tri spokes specialized. Yeah, they look dope. Right? Yeah. Big shout out to Siffy Wheels, by the way. He's just sent me a set. Is uh, a, a UK lad set up in Melbourne who uh, GRI fixed and stiffy, um, and I contacted him. I mean, we've been chatting over the last couple of years anyway. But he was like, "When do you want to represent stiffy?" And I was like, "Well, yeah." <laughs> and then he was <laughs> like, "I'll send you the carbon fifty mil rims for the Magnum, some new." Uh, aluminium wheel set for the, the, the steel bike and then he was like oh do you want to do a giveaway to promote everyone to push everyone's reach 
She's sending me a set of rims to give away as a competition. Are there two spokes in there? I mean, the one spoke? That's. I'm looking to see if they do a, uh, <laughs> to do a three spoke. Because <laughs> I'm not going to lie, the one spoke is it's hella foggly. Oh, they do. They do a one spoke, a three spoke, a four spoke, and then carbons, yeah. They don't do a five spoke. The one spoke is, is crazy shit. I mean... Is there what is the practice? What is the benefit of riding that? None. <laughs> <laughs> what an answer! I'm sorry, what but an... probably none. I know the benefit. You can put your head through it when it's not turning. Oh, you can do that with a tri spoke too. Depends on the, the, the brand. I know, debatable. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. Like. Every conversation I've had with him has been genuine and, and super supportive. Nice guy. Okay, then um, we can talk more about the Flying Scotsman or we can talk about something else like the Mash Room, but we can do the Mash Room in the after show. I was planning to do the Mash Room in the after yeah. show. On Sunday, they have this, comp- uh, this Hearn Hill. So it's a part of London, has an outdoor concrete. Is it a velodrome then if it's concrete? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have a, 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 what's the brand called? I'll put it in the show notes. I'll give you it. But it's a London-based kind of like event, weekend, fun vibes. So there's a big thing going on. Um, in the center, they have like some crazy like track thing as well for track lacrosse. So there's a whole thing going on. On Sunday, at the, at the Hearn Hill Velodrome. So I'm going to go down and meet some more of the community here and meet some more of the riders which should be really nice. And um, they do something once a month or once every two weeks, which is really nice. So you're finally going to ride on the velodrome, right? No, I I, pull, I sprained my shoulder last week. So I my left arm has been, I, I thought I'd broken my shoulder, but I went and had an x-ray and it's not broken. It's just the muscle. It's getting mm-hmm. much better. But um, in terms of uh, riding, only riding to work at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you have a little bit more time to find a pair of three spokes to go on the velodrome. Exactly. I need, it's, oh, man, that means I need a velodrome bike, right? I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah. So it needs drop bars. Isn't your Magnum sort of a velodrome bike? No, that'll never have drop bars on again. <laughs> oh, shit. No. That, I felt physically sick for that month. <laughs> so if I'm going to build a velodrome bike, it's not the Magnum. The Precursor is a good velodrome bike. The Precursor is the beginner. Is even on their website, it's like the beginner. Uh, it is velodrome bike. Yeah. No, I think if I'm going to drop down to the the velodrome, I think I'll casually, you know, use an FES or a Lotus or. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, is there a flex? Is there a flex at the velodrome? Is there a bike flex goes on? Is there a bike flex at the velodrome? Oh, I don't know. Yes, like, you do know. If you have a look with both disc, you know, like disc wheel front and rear, it's pretty ballin. I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I need. But I don't know. Like any, I mean, velodrome stuff basically means expensive stuff right yeah so yeah anything that is expensive what are the uh, 
what are the rules in terms of like can I put like a two spoke on the front and like a four spoke on the back or a disc or is there an etiquette in terms of how many spokes slash carbon slash disc wheels I have? Uh, <laughs> I do believe that, uh, you know, when you go for like UCI stuff, mm -hmm. official stuff, your wheels need to be UCI certified. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, I think... I think you 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 know Harmony Wheels, mm, right? I do, and I just picked up sponsor. Yeah, I've just received my first set. Yeah. yeah. So he just got his UCI certification for his disc wheel, mm -hmm. I believe. But in terms of etiquette, I don't know if there is one. Mm. All I know is into group riding, mm. so no solo person, etc. It's pretty rare to see people with a front disc. Rear disc is pretty common, but front disc, not that much. It's more of a solo stuff. Mm. But one thing I've noted by doing like all of those research and, you know, like looking and onto old frames, etc. Mm -hmm. I, I want some of those things really badly because... <laughs> It was such an amazing time. I mean, the Korema that Borsman was riding mm -hmm. or the Lotus or the double tri-spokes. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of that is like so cool. And if I see a double tri-spokes in the street, that is not specialized, written all over it. I'm probably going to be like, meh, I don't know about that, man, you know. <laughs> but now I'm going to be, oh, shit. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> it's it, it generally like Fixie Flex, street street bike Fixie Flex's rear, rear disc. Yeah, I feel, yeah. Why, why rear disc? Because you get more water out of it? I don't know. I mean, having a front disc is really difficult, though, because, you know, like wind Because steering and, and wind, yeah. Yeah. Right. And the the, the rear disc, you, you're sitting on it, so it's you not going to... Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not going to go anywhere. All right, just checking. That's, that's That was my train of thought, too. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. I've never owned a disc. I've never owned a disc, no. I've never, I've... I don't know if I'll own one. One day, I rode Matty's carbon, uh, his zip disc on on his C track a few times. Yeah, just you know, fucking around, wheeling in the street, and it's yeah, this sound mad. It's like, and you feel, you feel the there's no, there's no gap, there's no, there's no breath in the wheel. You know, yeah. you know, you don't feel like you're floating. You feel like you're on something. Like a boat, like a like a wood structure. You feel like you're on a structure, if that makes sense. Rocking on a boat. Yeah, exactly. Rocking on a boat. <laughs> yeah. I feel like double disc looks so mad on so many bikes. But it is so impractical. Like You can only ride in the velodrome, right? I mean If you're riding in the velodrome, yes, I mean why not? But in the street Hell no. Hmm. What do you think about like three spoke or two spoke carbon on a road bike? 
Uh, on a road bike. <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't look great, does it? Yeah. One thing that I don't like though is normal wheel in the front, mm-hmm. and then carbon two, three, five, whatever spokes in the rear. What would you prefer, like matching? No, I would prefer like carbon uh, three spokes in the front and normal spokes in the ah, right, yeah, wheel yeah, yeah, in the yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean by etiquette. Like, it, for some reason, we're, we're adapted to like a weird, that would be a weird setup to have a two or three disc on the front, uh, through it, two or three spoke on the back and a regular wheel on the front. That would be weird. Yeah. Yeah. This being said, though, I am really not convinced about the two spokes. Wait, by two spoke, we kind of mean one spoke, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Why just... are you so against two one spoke if you love three spokes so much? Because physically, why, why it is four not spoke? sustainable. No, but why does four spoke look so ugly as well compared to three spoke? What, what is it? Four spokes doesn't look that great. Nobody likes five spokes either. Why? Uh... <laughs> why? I, the stiffy, I'm looking at the stiffy. It's, it's, I don't trust any of them, any wheel that has only one or three spokes. <laughs> really? I like fucking 32. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, convince me otherwise. Let me ride it. Fair enough. But I don't see any difference between four, three, or two, or one if it's carbon for me. Yeah, but two is one, right? That's weird, right? There's no literally one, and there's no literally two. There's just this. I mean, two is the stiffy stuff, and one would be a disc. Ah. Was that not like one zero? One would be one big spoke and that would be a disc. Mm. Or disc is zero. Disc is zero, I think. Tell us in the comments. You can't comment. <laughs> I don't know. I like the stiffy one, one slash two spoke, whatever we're talking about. Because it's so much wider than even the three spoke or the four spoke or a five spoke I've seen. In terms of like the width of that one spoke. But then you have like... An entire 180 degrees of a circle with no spoke. Looks weird. <laughs> Looks like it's going to break. It just reminds me of, uh, you know, like what you have at the, uh, what you have a, at the bottom of a smoothie maker, <laughs> a smoothie machine, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that blade. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's basically it for me. Like this swirly circle. It's like not a full circle, but like a hundred. Yeah. yeah. I'm not, neither of us ride any of these type of wheels, but yes. No, we don't. Yeah. We don't. We like aluminium rims, and we actually, and we like carbon rims, but we like spoked and built wheels. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's that's something I want to talk about actually in a future blog post. Is I don't know, like, I feel with many many years of riding, I've thrown an awful lot of money into wheels. Um. And I don't know, you know, like recently I was sending emails and I was thinking to myself, huh, I've been loving that brand forever, but I've never had any recognition or not even a thank you or anything. I don't know. It made me think, you know, so stay tuned for that. I might make an article about that. Do it. I'll do it.
<laughs> Nobody's going to stop me. I won't. I'll support it. All right, guys. I guess this is pretty much all we have time for today. It's a little bit of a shorter episode because history episode, always a little bit shorter, right? But uh, yeah, that wraps an entire episode of this Lisbon Society podcast. Uh, everything we'll discuss today will be in the show notes on the blog, slipsociety.com, along with the various articles and write-up that I post every two weeks. Uh, in the show notes, you'll also find uh, the movie, because there is a movie, The Flying Scotchman. Uh, Scotman, damn it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like all of the infos and pictures, and you'll find every, everything in there. No, no worries. If you get value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit our Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. To join the community, we're pledging at any level we can access to the extent cut of the pre and after show. You'll also have access. I literally recorded this just before that recording uh, to special episodes uh, tracked by Chronicles. Uh, it's a shorter format podcast that I record with, I don't know, like I would say special people. Uh, last one's was Amy Danger talking about her laser revolution and this month uh i talk with casper you might know him under the tag gt track Sir on instagram uh and we talk gts we talk gts a lot and that was cool special thanks goes to our 25 patreons backing us into that crazy venture that's the slow spend society and as always thank you so much for support Finally, you can also find us on our Discord server. The invite link is also in the show notes. Always our Instagram account, at slowspinsidey, at karenzy.co for Rob, and I go by at underscore Paul underscore you. I will never tell you what the U stands for. (laughs) Sharing the podcast with your friend is by far the easiest way to support the show or by giving us a good review on the platform of your choice. The music for the show is Loveless Windler by Maria. And the illustration is by me. Well, that wraps up the show. Yeah. I guess we're going to go on to the after show now. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop, guys. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.